0: When you're thinking about starting a DAO or a community, a decentralized community of sorts, it's really about thinking, you know, where do community members have context and how can they make an impact in those areas? So one thing I've said like over and over again is I don't think it makes sense for the community to manage a treasury necessarily in most contexts because most people don't have experience managing a budget for a company for example, or a lot of people, not even for themselves, don't manage a budget for themselves. So what business do all these people have managing a budget for a DAO, DAO's treasury? That to me just feels irresponsible and like a disaster waiting to happen. So I think it's just important that that whatever you're giving the community governance power over, that they actually have context and they have qualifications to do that.
1: Welcome to Web3 on Fire, where we take you on an inspiring journey through the ever evolving world of Web3. In each episode, our host Rob delves into the heart of the latest innovations in decentralized technology, including account abstraction, smart accounts, aka smart contract wallets, and the future of work in the Web3 ecosystem. All right. Welcome to Web3 on Fire. Today, on our show, we have Diana from rehash podcast, the first community owned podcast, focusing on web three and other blockchain topics. She comes from a long history of (laughs) podcasting from unstoppable domains, as well as rabbit hole with season five, just finishing up with the last episode with Roz dropping super excited to talk with her about upcoming season six with the new initiative dropping soon, which you can still get involved in. So go ahead and grab that NFT and come join the community. And with that, welcome to Web3 on Fire.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Rob. I'm super excited to be here. I've been following the podcast from the very beginning and it's been cool to see what you guys have done. I've listened to the interview with Meg, who obviously has been helping out with rehash stuff and is a wonderful person. And I'm I'm honored to be here.
1: Awesome. Super excited. And Uh, Excited to get down into the conversation and just get a little bit of history from you in terms of how did you get involved in tech in general, how you got into podcasting and specifically crypto and maybe some interesting projects that brought you in or people that may have pilled you originally.
0: Sure, yeah. it's. Uh, I'll try to keep it as concise and short as possible because it is a long story. But how I got involved in tech in the first place, I've always been pretty interested in it, even back in college. I was always interested in startups and just what was going on in the tech space, especially new things that were happening. Back when I was in school, we didn't have any sort of entrepreneurship program or even any direct startup program or anything that a lot of university programs have today. And so I ended up just going the your typical liberal arts route, studied political science and philosophy, and ended up going to law school primarily because I didn't know what else to do with my life. And I wanted to delay the being an adult and having a job part. So I was like, I'll stay in school and just keep doing this thing that I know how to do. So I went to law school. And while I was in law school, I actually started my, I built my first startup, which was this two-sided marketplace that helped small businesses and startups find affordable legal help. And it also, at the same time, helped lawyers find extra work, uh, like freelance work. So I did that for pretty much the duration of my time in law school, learned a lot from that process. And then after graduating, I went on to do a variety of things. I went on and practiced law for a little bit, even though I had figured out pretty early on in law school that it probably wasn't for me, but I'm very much like a don't knock it till you try it kind of person and give everything a fair chance. So I went ahead and did that, realized I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. Couldn't see myself sitting in an office and grinding away this very negative and as a lawyer, you're kind of just fighting people all day. And it's it's not the best vibes in my opinion. And so I did a rage quit of that and decided I was going to go travel the world. And so I became a travel blogger and that's how I got into this content and marketing space. And then when COVID hit and we were all stuck at home back in 2020, I started a podcast and it was just a startup podcast that had nothing to do with crypto or Web3. I would bring on startup founders or anyone that worked at a startup, really engineers, marketers, the whole spectrum. And we would just have a beer or wine or whatever they wanted to drink and talk about startup things. And somehow through that, Matthew Gold, who's the co-founder and CEO of Unstoppable Domains, found my podcast, really liked it. Decided to hire uh, the agency I was working at at the time. We were helping B two B businesses start podcasts. Decided he decided to hire us to help Unstoppable start a podcast. And so he was one of my clients. And how I really started learning about Web three beyond you know, just buying Bitcoin back in the day and selling it immediately because I had no idea what it was actually what any of that actually meant. That's when I really started learning about Web three and decentralization was from Matt Gold. And about a month or two into that client relationship, he brought me on to work full time at Unstoppable. And I was hosting the podcast there, the Unstoppable podcast, and also just running content initiatives. And that's how I fell down the crypto rabbit hole and got into all of this.
1: That's awesome. So it seems like from a varied background in terms of coming from law, practicing it, also understanding the yeah. foibles of going down that specific rabbit hole and understanding that maybe that wasn't the best thing, best fit for you, um, and then growing into to what it is today. So maybe we can talk a little bit more about what Rehash is today, or at least at its inception point. And at what point did you decide to start Rehash? Did it start with an idea while you were still working, doing podcasting stuff? Um, and just what did that conversation look like and, and how did that come about?
0: Yeah, so Rehash started in April of last year, so April of 2022, as the first community-owned podcast. And the idea came about because of a couple of different reasons. On the one hand, I had been podcasting in the crypto space for so long. I had recorded over 150 podcast episodes on crypto and Web3 topics by that time, but I had always been doing it for other people, for companies. And... I think when you're working at a company, especially as a content creator of sorts, you are essentially renting space. You know, when we talk about ownership a lot in Web3, when you're working on a company and doing a podcast for them, you're renting their space. You don't actually own anything. So when I moved on from Unstoppable to work at Rabbit Hole, that podcast was no longer mine. They had a new host and that became the new host podcast. Same thing with Rabbit Hole as well. And it got to the point where I was like, I just want a podcast that I can call my own. I put in so much work and time and so much effort into all of these conversations I've had and I have nothing to show for it. Uh, or nothing that I can call my uh, that I can show. That was one that was on the one hand. And then on the other hand, I had been thinking a lot about DAOs and creating some sort of decentralized community. And I wanted to do that around media folks in web three. Because at that time, especially this was about a year and a half ago, there still weren't too many media folks in Web3. So I wanted to find everyone Put everyone in one space and instead of having the same conversation over and over again with all these different people in web3 we could all come into the same room together have the same conversation together so that each conversation can build on top of each other and we can do more and more and so that's how the idea for a community-owned podcast came about is i thought i could use i could start my own podcast but it wouldn't be a traditional podcast we would build in some web3 mechanisms into it And experiment a bit and see what we can come up with. So, I decided to let the community decide which guests get to come on the podcast instead of me as the host deciding that. And it was really scary at first, for sure. I had no idea how it was going to work out. Like, we've never seen it done before. But I have to say, it, it was the best decision. The people that our community has brought on to the podcast, the guests that we've had, are have been so incredible and even more incredible than the guests that I would have been able to find had I gone out searching for myself.
1: I love that. Just the growth and the scale of what community and contributors can bring into something, or it's not just one-sided. Exactly. there's something that they can participate in, contribute, yeah. be credited as well as being a part of that. I love that you specifically call out who nominated the guests and who voted them on as you know this cool little plot at the beginning of each episode. So love that. I have a question just about the your background in legal and then moving into the crypto space. Do you think that helped inform your Kind of thoughts or experiments, thought ideas around creating a DAO, or did that come directly from the Web3 and crypto space? There's a lot of kind of intellectual curiosity when it comes to ownership or how things could be versus how they are. Uh, Was it informed by your background in the legal space as well?
0: I think what my background in the legal space helped me with in my work in Web3 is just thinking about everything from an analytical perspective and having a more realistic take on things. I think in Web3 and crypto, it can be really easy to get carried away by all the hype and by all the noise. And especially, I mean, not so much nowadays in the bear market, but especially back during the bull market, it was like trends were popping up multiple times a day, it was so hard to keep up with and so easy to just hop on any new trend that popped up. You know, you, you see somebody you follow that you hold in high regard, tweet about something tweet about a new project, and all of a sudden, you're buying into that project. And that project is everything and it gets all this hype. And a, a lot of it isn't based in any kind of real researcher thinking, it's really just based on what you're seeing on Twitter and what you're seeing, what you're hearing influencers, quote unquote, talk about in the space. And so I I think that my background in law has helped me to have a more realistic and practical take on all of this, realizing that while all of this is super exciting, obviously I'm really into experimenting in Web3 and seeing how we can push the boundaries of the technology that we have in our hands today, I think it's also important to be realistic and grounded about you know, like what are the actual limitations great so smart contracts people talk about smart contracts or law, and that sounds great, and from a theoretical perspective i 'm totally on board, but at the same time, we do live in a society we do live in Whatever country we live in, with laws governing that country that govern us as well as residents and citizens of that country that we have to abide by, and there's no getting around that. So, how do we sort of balance this living in an actual society with actual laws that we have to abide by versus also wanting to push this new technology and push this new mentality and way of thought that may or may not align with? The realities that we live in,
1: yeah, it seems like just bringing a really practical perspective to things instead of obviously a hype cycle and it's a lot of communication, a lot of yelling with a lot of international community as well so people may not have the same worries about talking about securities, talking about specific mm-hmm. of the market so yeah it's a good point uh, you brought up building in the bear market essentially during this time where it's a lot different. What can you tell me about being a part of? the bull cycle before and now being in our bear market for quite a while now, but still seeing success in terms of growth and community growth of these initiatives. I think it's obviously a really important part and time to experiment around and play. Maybe can you talk a bit about moving from a bull market mentality to a bear market? And then now that we're in it, what has that changed and what's been successful?
0: Yeah, I think the most sort of obvious thing that people would think of as money right during a bull market you have all this money floating around and there are pros and cons to that the pros are that if you want to start a new project it's really easy to get your project funded and do the things that you want to do during a bear market that's much more difficult you need to figure out how to bootstrap or you just need to figure out how to push forward your projects and build things with less financing on the flip side so like for rehash, for example, we started in April 22, the market didn't really fully start to plummet until that summer. And so we had a couple of months of still, I, w- I don't know if I'd call it bull market, but free bear market, where we were able to raise a lot of money in our initial mirror crowdfund to get us off the ground and running, which I'm super grateful for. The pro f- for me for being in a bear market is that everything is a lot slower there isn't all this these new trends popping up every day like these new hype cycles popping up all the time and so you have time to sit down and actually think and to experiment in a not so frantic way you know during a bull market everything is so chaotic so frantic you feel like you have to just go and that i think leads a lot of people to not make the most thoughtful decisions in what they're building, and also to get burnt out really quickly. So in a bear market, you have time to actually sit down, think about what you're doing, plan out what you're doing in a thoughtful way. And because there's no money floating around, it's low stakes to experiment, you can experiment with whatever you want. And it's super low stakes. And I really hope that people are taking this time during the bear market to experiment because this is the time to figure out what works and what doesn't for your project, your community, your product, whatever you're involved in, so that when the next bull market comes around, you'll already know, you would have done the research, you would have done the testing to know what works and what doesn't so that you don't waste resources on what doesn't work and that you can successfully put all of your resources into what does work.
1: Nice. Yeah, I love that approach. Absolutely. Just experimenting and then doubling down when the scale comes, when the people come. So let's roll back to even that first mirror crowdfunding uh, in those those days. How did you choose the tool and go forth from the inception of the idea to then raising money from collectors that were going to be a part of the community? What did that look like at that first kind of inception point?
0: Yeah, all of it happened super fast. The reason we chose mirror is because I had been a big fan of mirror since day one, since when they were still doing their mirror right races, I had entered myself into the right race pretty early on, I think, got into mirror on the second or third week that I entered just because it was so early, nobody was in it Um, by the end of right race. I mean, there was no way I could have gotten on through right race. But following their journey from that, and as they evolved into different kinds of tools with the crowdfund that came out, I think I had seen one or two projects have really successful mirror crowdfunds before we used it for rehash. And I thought, wow, what a cool tool. Uh, And especially since mirror was already something that I've been using for a while. So we just decided to give it a go. In terms of the actual launching the crowdfund and getting it funded and stuff, all of that was pretty much a whirlwind. I mean, the I think I had drafted up the Mirror post maybe a week or two before we published it, and I had just put it on a Google Doc, sent it around to some friends that I really respect in the space, asked for some feedback, and then decided to go ahead and launch it. And we had set our goal to, um, I think it was uh, 10 ETH at the time, which... The way we calculated that was I think that would have been enough money to fund us for a couple of seasons, like paying for our editors and all the work that they were going to do for one or two seasons. And we reached our goal of 10 ETH within the first hour, possibly the first half hour. And we had already planned to leave the crowdfund open for a week. And so we just decided to go ahead with that, left it open for a week, ended up reaching almost 30 ETH. So basically tripling our goal that we had set out for. And it was all a huge shock to me, really. I I, I couldn't really tell you like the kind of meme of I tripled my mirror crowdfund raise. Here's a thread on 15 ways how I did this. I couldn't even write something like that. Because I honestly don't know. Like, I can, I've told you basically everything we did. I just wrote up this crowdfund, circulated it to people. Once we launched it, I think I'd sent it to you know, some friends within my circle. And that was pretty much it. And somehow it got out and raised all this money. And part of it too was taking advantage of the fact that we were still in a bullish market and people were still putting money into these things. But yeah, super grateful for the way that all of that turned out.
1: That's awesome. Congratulations. Obviously, that's in the past. And now you've had the success five seasons in. Super cool. So even back then, what did the kind of structure of the internal team versus the community look like? And how did the decision to engage the community What did that community engagement look like over time as it grew and then has been, how has it been managed finding people that are potential contributors that can help out the pod, help out in various ways? How how has that evolution looked and how has that been in terms of success and pain points?
0: Yeah, so I was lucky enough to have dedicated the six months or so prior to starting Rehash pretty much solely on figuring out how to decentralize a content and marketing function within a company. So this is something that i had been not just thinking about, but also experimenting with for six months before starting rehash. So a lot of the learnings from that we were able to apply to rehash and not make a lot of the same mistakes or just waste time experimenting with the same stuff. One of the big learnings was that it is really hard. I mean, it's really hard to decentralize in general, but it is even harder to decentralize a content or marketing function because content is so subjective. So it's one thing to have your community vote yes or no on a proposal to do something. It's a totally different thing to have your community submit an article or submit a video there's the quality control there is extremely difficult. And even with some things like podcast editing, for example, even that is something that's really hard to fully decentralize to the community because every editor has their own style. Every editor has their own sort of uh, different things that they like to do different ways they like to play with audio and video. And when you have all of these different people coming in without standards, then your podcast comes out every episode comes out sounding a little bit different. And as a listener, you don't want that you want consistency when you go to a podcast, things like that, we realized, don't necessarily need to be decentralized. You can have a core team where you can have one person managing all of the podcast editing and video stuff. You can have maybe not everyone contributing content, but everybody contributing in different ways. For example, for us, helping us pick our guests. That's something that I think the community is entirely qualified to do. And they've proven that season, time and time again, each season. They've shown that they are more than qualified to do something like that. So I think it's really about when you're thinking about starting a DAO or a community, a decentralized community of sorts, it's really about thinking, you know, where do community members have context and how can they make an impact in those areas? So one thing I've said like over and over again is I don't think it makes sense for the community to manage a treasury necessarily, in most contexts, because most people don't have experience managing a budget for a company, for example, or a lot of people, not even for themselves, don't manage a budget for themselves. So what business do all these people have managing a budget for a DAO, DAO's treasury? That to me just feels sort of irresponsible and like a disaster waiting to happen. So I think it's just important that the that whatever you're giving the community governance power over that they actually have context and they have qualifications to do that.
1: Yeah. That's an interesting point. Just the difference too, in terms of the type of content that you're putting out is serious in nature and it's informational needs to have a particular kind of flair and flavor to it versus if you had a creative entity like nouns, you kind of let loose and just say the goal is to proliferate the meme. Versus here, the goal is to put out a high-quality podcast multiple times Exactly. the season. Good point about appropriate governance and appropriate decentralization. Uh, now, had that come about over time, learnings th- through other projects, through other people, and then through your through rehash itself. In, in terms of had you tried. Experimenting with allowing people to submit proposals for social content, etc., and then you know how did that kind of go? I, I certainly know of other projects and other initiatives in general of the, needing the context and the quality there, but also trying to play the balance between wanting contributor and wanting that high quality control.
0: Yeah, I had definitely come about through experimenting and mostly failing at things, that we learn these things. And I think maybe context and quality aren't the only things that are needed. Maybe there's something else as well. Just thinking about when we tried to decentralize the podcast editing function and say, we'll take in all these editors and whoever has time can just pick up these episodes. That didn't work because like I mentioned, the consistency wasn't there. So even though all of those people had the quality, they were all qualified podcast editors. None of them did a bad job. And all of them had the content, you know, which is podcast editing, that's that that was their job, and they were good at it. But maybe there's this third piece that was missing too, that made it so that we didn't have the consistency we needed under a single brand, which is rehash, you know, where people are subscribed to this one podcast channel, they expect consistency week over week. So yeah, that was a learning over time. And then I think, with regards to the content function, that was also a learning as well. We did try to let people submit content in the form of written articles primarily and realized that it's it's almost like it, it felt like we were trying to run a magazine where we were editors and we were having these contributors submit pieces and we became full-time editors, which is not really what we set out to do. And the thing... The probably the biggest learning from that experience was that maybe the way to think about it, if you did want to pursue a decentralized content structure of sorts, is to think about content creation and content curation as two separate tiers, where maybe the content creation tier you can think about that as the bottom tier is fully decentralized, but then you have a next tier above that, which is the content curation tier, which is not fully decentralized. You do have certain people who are designated editors who have proven that they're good at their craft, who are the one to choose which pieces actually make it into your publication and to make sure the quality control is there. That's probably how I would think about decentralizing content, if that's something that you wanted to do for your organization
1: yeah it's really interesting when you do have specific types of content in terms of the media and the output so if it's podcast and again serious and informational it needs to follow a particular structure in in almost as we're growing we're seeing different hyper structures emerge right so if a ufo or radar or forefront they have the need to have a ton of different. Content creators and curators come on because there's such a wide uh, breadth of, of information to gather and then start sticking in all of the various categories and, and such, versus this is a very narrow kind of goal and focus, and not only just in terms of the content, but like you're saying, in terms of the actual consistency and style. Just like a film, you go to crowdsource a film and have what everyone do one frame and it's going to come out chaotic versus stylistically it's going to feel very different
0: so chaotic (laughs) now I'm just picturing how that would work out I almost want to experiment with that just to see what crazy stuff people come up with
1: mischief did a really interesting crowdsourced I'm trying to think which movie it was but everybody drew just a frame of the movie and it was x amount of frames total and they achieved it very quickly but each frame style is extremely different so it's
0: I can imagine yeah
1: so talking about moving from audience where you had podcasts that you're creating B2B or for an entity and then had more of an audience moving towards kind of fans, towards actual community collectors. How do you see the spectrum of that and the difference between since you've had experience having maybe more of a one-sided conversation versus this is much more of an entrenched experience with the community and people that are participating maybe with ideas for not um, people that can be nominated, but maybe for ideas or topic within that episode, et cetera.
0: Yeah, I think there's definitely a community element to a traditional podcast as well, whether you're podcasting for a company or whatever the case is. I think the cool thing about this community-owned podcast, though, is that it does really strengthen that community bond a lot more than you'd be able to with a traditional podcast because these people are... They feel like they have an ownership piece or they have a say in the podcast. Like it's a good feeling when you, first of all, are allowed to nominate somebody that you think would be great for the podcast. And then secondly, to see that person actually come on the podcast, have a full on conversation, get asked the questions that you suggested they're asked and see all of that play out and come to fruition, I think is a really good feeling. Another cool thing that we've seen that I wasn't really expecting with this community-owned piece is that we use Joke Race to hold our nominations and voting each season. And Joke Race is such an awesome tool for gamifying this process, pretty much to whatever extent you want. So the way that we've done it is we will airdrop X number of voting tokens each season to anyone who's qualified based on how many episodes are in that season. So if we're going to have 15 episodes that season, we're going to airdrop 15 voting tokens to all the qualified wallets before the season starts. And you're allowed to use those tokens however you want. So you can cast all 15 votes for one person. if You're super bullish on one person and you're going hard. Or you can cast one vote for 15 different people or some something in between. And so people have gotten super strategic with this. People have waited until the last hour, the last minute even to cast their votes to see where they can make the most impact and kind of move that top leaderboard as much as they can. Last season was probably the craziest experiment we've seen where we actually had a few different community members come together and collude in this master plan to essentially force us to have a longer season than we had planned for Uh, they came together at the very end forced a six-way tie and because we don't have any tiebreaker rules we would have to invite all of those people onto the podcast so they know there's what you can do as a community is really more than just deciding who comes on the podcast you can force A longer season with more episodes than we planned for. You can do all of these things and it's brought the community together too. Like these people, these community members that came together and colluded on this, they I don't think they knew each other before they became part of the rehash community. And now not only are they do they know each other, but they're friends, they're more than friends, they're co-conspirators in this DAO that they're part of. So it's been really cool just to see the ways that. This community-owned piece has brought people together, not just through, you know, my relationship with the community or the community's relationship with each other, but the community's relationship with the guests as well, the guest's relationship with other guests who have appeared on the podcast. Like all of that has been so cool to see.
1: Yeah. Shout out to Joe Grace and David Erlichman, like the episode. David Phelps. Sorry, thanks. David David, David Phelps, Phelps. Yeah. and the incentivizing contrarianism. That whole piece just it's, it's genius in terms of creating interesting rules or interesting incentives or de-incentives to play around. It's game theory and practice, and it's such a great, great thing. Exactly. Each week, the joke race, are. They're always so crazy. And exactly. Seeing the collusion, <laughs> seeing the memes, seeing the incentives that people try and, you know, get, try and bribe people to get votes are amazing because there are no rules when it comes to these.
0: Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And everything's recorded on chain. Everybody can see what's happening and people you know, stand by their actions and their votes.
1: I think there's this interesting thing that's developed in terms of the community that supports decentralization and web three and just general cryptography in this space. I heard someone in a conversation, and I think this has been echoed many times about people that decide to move to a particular place, let's say San Francisco, New York, where they know that they're going to have to give up some part of their life, perhaps owning a home or having more space or maybe putting off having kids or or certain elements of their life. But they've done that because they know that they're joining another group of people, like-minded people that have made similar, um, similar points of suffering so that they can then come together and maybe build and grow something great and different and new. So I think there's a huge community of people out there that's in the Decentral Web3 crypto space that that's the similar edict there.
0: A hundred percent. Yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent.
1: So let's definitely talk about some of the other Web3 native platforms and the choice to, of course, decentralize in terms of governance, but also in terms of distribution, LensTube, um, some of these other platforms. Let's hear a little about how you came about choosing these platforms and how they've performed and just the general successes and maybe, again, pain points behind some of of them in terms of using them early adopt as an early adopter um, and some of the technical things you have to deal with as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think f- I'll just hit on that last point from a technical perspective. I think a lot of Web3 projects really focus on building out that cool new feature, kind of forget about the basics. And sometimes at the, you have to, it, it's, it almost feels like these projects are working in reverse where like, typically you want to start with the basics, make sure that your app works well before you build on any cool new features but people in the space are so forward-thinking so innovative and what's exciting to us is the cool new features and not building out the same stack that has already existed but the problem with that is that as especially an internet native generation like we've gotten so accustomed to using creator tools that have always existed like youtube or like social media and some of the basic things that work with these platforms, like if you upload a video to YouTube, it uploads pretty fast. Or if you use something like Descript, which I think you guys do to edit your videos, you can automatically publish from Descript to YouTube, there's these integrations already in place, everything happens pretty seamlessly and pretty quickly with you know, Instagram or Twitter or these social media platforms, you can toggle between accounts. Like you can do all of these actions. If you like something, if you reply to something, you expect to see a certain UI, right? Like these are things that don't need to be reinvented. Like how we, when we comment on somebody's post and we see how that comment shows up and we see the other comments under that post, like this is UI that has been set and deeply ingrained into our brains. And that's not something that needs to be reinvented. With Web3 applications, I would just like to, I guess, remind them of this. And I would just like to see some of these things not change. Like we don't, these are things we don't need to change. So why don't you just rebuild these things that people are used to and then focus on building the cool new Web3 features on top of that? I think that's my biggest feedback. But um, in terms of things like Lens or Farcaster, or any of these other creator tools. I think it's really cool that these tools exist. I think it's still really early to say which ones will succeed or to what extent they'll succeed. And I also am not sure that we'll ever see any of these fully replacing something like Twitter, for example. And I know for a while, everyone was talking about a decentralized Twitter. Everyone was threatening to leave Twitter. Everyone's talking about these things, but I think what we've seen is everyone is still on Twitter. And I think that is going to be really hard to change. I think the, in order for us to see more activity on something like Forecaster or Lens or Blue Sky or Thread, everybody's going to try their hand at this over Twitter is going to be really difficult. And I don't know that we will see that at least any time in the near future. I'm not sure what the answer is. With all of that said, I just think that maybe what we need to be thinking about is instead of building a Web3 version of what already exists in Web2, to think even more outside of the box than that and to think about building something that's entirely Web3 native, that is entirely new and not just for the sake of having something entirely new and different, but something that actually solves a lot of the problems that we see with web2 creator tools or web2 social that is i think where people's heads need to be and i actually think that it's good that we're in a bear market right now from that perspective because i think if we were in a bowl we would see so many more projects like lens and farcaster you know, basically recreating the same thing And I don't think that would be good for the space. I I think what Lens is doing, though, is really cool. Farcaster, too, to a certain extent, uh, with having that, like, what I'm really excited about is having that social graph built on Lens that you can port from app to app. And essentially, if I could bring my Twitter audience to my Instagram and my Instagram audience to my YouTube and all of these audiences together that I would have such a bigger following on every platform, but instead I just have all these segmented followings on each individual platform. And if you wanna segment them, <clears throat> you still can with Lens, they don't all have to be together, but to have the opportunity to combine your social graph across all of the, uh, these applications, that to me is like one of the biggest unlocks about Lens.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely early days in terms of Web3 and all of the social apps and new protocols. I, it's picks and shovels and the fricking protocols are just such still in their primitive days. And it's interesting to see the bits and pieces get put together in novel ways that one could project to the future to see, oh, it's a spectrum. I mean, web one didn't somehow disclude two and two didn't disclude one. They Mm use the same technologies they built on top of each other. Web two was just enabled by a little piece of technology that allowed a server in the browser to talk to each other in the form of Ajax to make things much more snappy. And then suddenly there was a revolution in the ability to build web apps. And now we've had 23 years of web two apps. So yes, web natives, web two natives are extremely used to seeing particular UI UX. It's developed, it's established. It's interesting to see some of the projects now start to build building blocks for others to build on top of, which is exactly what web two what made web two so powerful in the form of APIs and even back in RSS feed days and making information powerful. Mm -hmm. I think we've yet to see the next revolution in web three. It's a lot of the same building blocks, additive building blocks, and that we have a technology that has the potential to open up banking and all these other novel, interesting use cases when it comes to utility and community. But it's also we're seeing legislation that didn't exist in web two days, where people were just making crazy applications. And it was only 16 years in, into web two where Facebook is being legislated against because at some point it became an issue. And so it's interesting to watch the evolution, but also seeing it more as a progression than a, a large step in evolution. So can't wait to see. Any new builders out there, let's build the crazy things that that we really need and to solve the real problems that we have out there. So shout out to the builders.
0: Shout out to the builders. Keep building. Don't stop.
1: Now, on that note, what are some of the things that you would love to see that are lacking in Web3 when it comes to maybe tooling platforms or maybe just general ideas out there as someone experienced in talking with a lot of builders as well?
0: I think in terms of platforms, what's really missing is a Web3 native platform that does everything like it it has all the features you need, but also has that distribution and discoverability. I think that's what's missing. You know, I think Lens has probably done the best job of that so far. There is a pretty big community on Lens where if I up, upload a video to LensTube, I can actually get new you know, new people discovering rehash through that, which is pretty cool. I think with that said, it obviously isn't to the scale of Web2 social just yet. So that is one thing that I like to see more no-code platforms. I think we're still missing that a little bit. It's gotten so much better. I mean, it like light years better than even a year or two ago, but more and more no-code platforms for non-technical creators to be able to do everything they need to do on these platforms. I think a lot of it too is just basic metamask issues, like wallet connect issues. So Better onboarding to wallets, which is what Ambire is doing, which is you know all about that. I don't, you know you didn't bring me on here to talk about wallets. <laughs> I, I think that definitely is something that we need to get better at as a space in order to bring more people on like right now, if I had some sort of like really cool web3 site where you connect your wallet to get access to all of these things, like it would be really difficult for me to onboard. Uh, one of my non Web3 friends onto that, or one of my non Web3 followers who otherwise would you know, like. I, I have IRL friends here who say they listen to my podcast and they don't know anything about crypto and they're just listening because they think it's cool. I have a podcast, but if I wanted to onboard one of them onto actually using Web3 tools, it would be pretty difficult. Like I'd probably have to set aside a few hours at least to help them get a wallet, understand all of that, and even then, I would feel nervous about it because they could be playing around with it and get scammed really easily or do something they're not supposed to do or send money to the wrong wallet and lose all their money. Like a million things can go wrong. And I don't I'm not able to educate every single one of them on all the different ways that things could go wrong. Um, and even people who are really like OGs in the space have gotten scammed too. like scams are not just for newbies like anyone really can get scammed. So I think just basic infrastructure needs to be better in Web3. And then in terms of ideas, you know, right now, like the prevailing meme in Web3 media is this like on-chain media thing. And I think that's really cool. I would like to see maybe less of the meme pushing and more educational materials and explanation and really helping people understand why this is cool. Like I think what we need to do in the web3 media space is talk to talk to traditional creators, artists, musicians, content creators, Instagram influencers, TikTok influencers, all of these people and explain to them why web3 can be better for them. How web3 tools can help them in their goals, in their, you know, their work and helping them monetize more effectively the stuff that they're doing things like that. And that's something I think that I see is missing.
1: Yeah, we had Meyer from Arcana network and they do basically an auth web flow, or excuse me, OAuth style. So you can log in with social or with Gmail, email password type 4337 account abstraction and are making that available. It's very similar to Ambire's login SDK. And they're specifically focused on trying to make the seamless web two experience in for web three it's that similar moment of oauth unlock when you could f- for the first time log in with your facebook account log in with your google mm-hmm. log in with ever wish with whichever account you had and that really unlocked a ton of users because managing your username and your password similar to a seed phrase is very dangerous <laughs> and we've been teaching everyone not to write down their password on a piece of paper and then here comes right. metamask and uh, seed phrases as a whole and, and backup keys, and here we are writing them on a ancient tablet and putting them in a safe for safekeeping, which we've been teaching our yeah. grandparents and our parents not to do. So we need that, yeah. that next evolution for sure.
0: Yeah, sometimes it almost feels to me like we're not willing to learn from our past mistakes with web two and web one because we're, we're so much like web three is so much better than web two. We have nothing to learn from the old traditional ways of doing things. We're here to innovate, innovators are better. And that kind of thinking is just so not productive for and en- for anyone or anything
1: yeah so they're, yeah
0: they're i hope we move away from not that
1: mutually exclusive when it comes to web 2 web 3 and even web 1 <laughs> web 1.0 web 2.0 exactly. we've dropped even 0.0s yeah. now
0: <laughs> yeah exactly
1: well awesome uh maybe we can talk a little bit about the next season coming up and the new initiative and then any other plans future plans new features uh, for the next upcoming season
0: Yeah, so we just wrapped up season five, like you mentioned earlier, our last episode dropped on last Thursday, uh, which was the 7th, I believe. Yep, the 7th. And then our new season will be starting in early October. So our next round of guest nominations and voting will be starting on Monday, September 18th. And basically how it works for anyone not familiar is you need to have a rehash podcast NFT in order to qualify to participate in this governance process. And you can get one by going to our website, rehashweb3.xyz. There are still plenty of NFTs available from this season that you can get. And so you can go and see which episode you liked best, and then you can get the NFT of that, which is basically just the audio version of that with this cover art for that particular episode. So you can do that before nominations start on Monday, September 18th. And then once it starts, we'll post a link to our joke race link, and that's where you can go. Go to Connect Your Wallet, make sure you're on Polygon, and then you can nominate whichever person that you think would be good for the podcast and that you want to hear for the upcoming season. You can even nominate multiple people. There's no rule or limit to how many people you can nominate. In past seasons, we typically end up with around 45 nominees, and then we end up taking the top 10 to 15. The exact number varies a little bit from season to season. Uh, The top 10 to 15 people who get the most votes. Yes, that's pretty much how it works. And then if you have any questions, you can always hit us up on Twitter at rehashweb3 and DM us or come into our Discord or or whatever and we can help.
1: So there is an awesome tweet that Diana put out about the fact that the guests that hadn't been voted on still needed a home. And I saw that tweet. I thought, what a great idea. We have Podcast going at ambire. And so I reached out to Diana, and we came up with this idea to take the people who hadn't been voted on and bring them into a brand new joke race, get both of our communities involved to vote on the next guest for our podcast, web three on fire. So we'll be doing an announcement shortly here after this podcast goes out, announcing the joke race, the various nominees, From the last round as well as details about why they should come on Um, and then we'll airdrop all the voting tokens to our collective communities and ask everybody to come vote and participate in, in the similar way that you do with rehash
0: i am so excited about this and just for some context about how this came about like i mentioned for the past couple of seasons we've had about 45 people get nominated each season and we're only able to take 10 to 15 guests each season because that's how our seasons are basically structured as like a calendar quarter you know so three months or so and not even two and a half months or so so that we have a little break in between and it's I'm always so bummed every season to to see the all the people that don't make it onto the podcast because honestly like all 45 people that are nominated should be on the podcast like they're all such good nominations and it's really crapshoot who actually gets voted on it really just depends on what people are working on at that exact moment like how people are talking to each other and colluding behind the scenes. there's so much that goes into it that has nothing to do with how qualified these people are so i i feel like it's such a waste every season to have all of these awesome guests get nominated, like people are telling us we want to hear from these people. We want these people to go on a podcast and talk about whatever they want to talk about. And it's such a missed opportunity. So I think it's super cool that you are doing something with it, taking these guests that were nominated on totally qualified, like you heard from people that they want to hear from these guests, you know, you're going to have an audience. And you're actually doing something about it. So I'm really excited to see how that plays out. And obviously, any opportunity we have to use Joke Race and get some chaos brewing is always a fun time. So I'm super excited for that.
1: Yep. Love the chaos element. Love picking up where the guests were left off and also the idea that they may be continuously nominated season after season if they don't end up diversifying that pool since the the audience was able to a chance to hear from them and also just cross promoting and getting these fun engaged communities together that participate in on chain governance in, in an awesome way through joke race so super stoked as as well
0: and one more thing, too, that I had mentioned to you before is I think it's really cool that you have a slightly different audience than Rehash does. I think Rehash is a lot more focused on media and content and culture and DAOs and all of those things, whereas Ambire is a little bit more focused on maybe more of the technical side of that. I mean, even you're like... The difference between us as hosts, like you're an engineer, I'm not. And so you're able to hold a lot more technical conversations and go deeper into those than I am. And so maybe, you know, the people that didn't get voted on for rehash are actually a better fit for the Ambire podcast because you can have a deeper and better conversations with them than I can. So I think that's also a cool element to it too, is that we're not the same podcast and that we do have like, like we have similar values and similar vibes and a similar audience but also we have those differences as well and so the people that maybe rehash members didn't see as like the best fit for rehash maybe then they'll see oh actually yeah they're they're a way better fit for your podcast than for rehash so let's get them onto your podcast
1: yeah. I love that idea. Getting multiple perspectives too. Somebody may come on rehash and you have a particular conversation versus we may have a different conversation. So
0: exactly. Absolutely. Excited
1: yeah. to see what comes out of it and, and excited to have the participation and from your, um, from your audience and our audience together, uh, doing a thing. Awesome.
0: Yeah. Love it. I can't wait.
1: Well, awesome. I think you did the plugs already for, for just rehash and where to find you and everything. So I think that should do it. Thank you. So this was awesome.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. This was a lot of fun.